good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for you and being God and allowing us, Father God, to even have the notion, God, to try to think about you. Please, God, direct our hearts to you. Help us to love you. Give us understanding of who you are and who we are in relation to you, God. In Jesus' name, speak, speak plainly. Amen. In Titus chapter 2, verse 15. And we're going to finish up this idea of talking about the new birth and what it is that the Spirit does inside of us. This work that we call being born again. And last time I was with you, we were talking about how evil we are as human beings and why we need to be born again. I was wrestling that question. Why must we be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And that took us through a couple of weeks of just saying people are bad. People are evil. People are messed up from the time that they're born into the time that a miracle happened. That's the epitome of human beings. And that's why we need to be born again. Because there's nothing we can do to reverse the fact that we are horrible. Point blank. So what is it that the spirit does in us? And how does this horribleness that we call humanity end up being something worthwhile? Is it something? And we ended with our Proverbs, Proverbs, what it was, 17, 15, about God cannot justify the wicked. I mean, God can, yeah, God cannot justify the wicked. For God to justify the wicked, that's an abomination unto him. So there has to be a way for God to call us just and for us to be with him and for him to still be righteous. Because if he just say, everybody go to heaven, I'm sorry, I messed up, my laws were too great, y'all are too evil, everybody let's go to heaven, repeat after the preacher and you get to go. God will be evil. Because that would be God justifying wicked people, which he cannot do, because that would be an unjust judge. So what we're going to do and how we're going to do this is I'm going to use scriptural pictures and metaphors to try to show you a change. And my idea in this is to try to change the way that we think of ourselves if we are born again. So it gives you some new thoughts and some new ideas of what you are and what has taken place if you are born again. But this is our foundation. And Titus chapter 2. We're going to read from 15 straight through through chapter 3. It said, These things speak and exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So this is Paul. He's giving Titus his command. He's commanding him to speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority. So put the people on blast, let them know, and don't let nobody despise you. 
So once you're going and you're declaring these things and you're speaking with all strength, you're exhorting, you're rebuking the people. Don't let anybody despise you. And this is what he wants them to speak. He said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So basically telling them how to live, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So these are the things he wants Titus to teach them. Basically, how to live in this corrupt world. Now, put yourself in the picture here. He's speaking to Titus, who's in Crete, which was a Gentile nation under the authority of the Roman Empire. And from all accounts that we can gather about these Cretans in, in this place, this was not a nice place to live in. Crete was not one of the places you go to for, for vacation. Or if you did, you go to just this one little area by the coast and all the tourist people keep you away from the city. Because the identity of the Cretans is that they were some low-down, ratchet folks who take advantage of people and, and horribly mistreat people, that this was a corrupt city. So in the midst of this corrupt city, he's telling these Titus to tell these people how to live. And you got two dynamics in play. One, he's talking to people from this rough city. So we was we to modernize this thing. Let's just say that Paul is talking to Titus. I'm trying to think of a city everybody would know for being just low down. Nah, that ain't good. Huh? College Park. See so you from Georgia. Everybody from somewhere different. Huh? Just known for being low down. <laughs> I had College Park. I got Montgomery. Somebody said Chicago. <laughs> Whatever one of them pop up in your head. Just imagine you talking to somebody in that city who grew up in this environment and you telling them they used to robbing folks, shooting folks, scheming on folks, pickpocketing people as they walk through town. These are the type of people you tell them, talking to. And you're like, hey man, when you in that city, obey the magistrates. That's sort of deep because the magistrates includes all the principalities and the powers, which was the city officials and the police. And the police was a little bit different, depends on where you come from, than the police from where we understand. Because we were raised, some of us, to say that police are nice people, you run to them for help. Some of us. But in those times, police will also enforce us of the taxes, enforcers of, of regulations and codes, and sometimes they were just straight low down. So their boss would give them a task to do. There's a cart turned over down on the street. We need that pathway clear. And they would say, okay, I need you to pick up that cart and take it out of the city and destroy it. And you're like, I gotta go pick up my kids. <laughs> 
and they will say, I don't care. This is law. This is rule. We're giving you a mandate. You need to go pick up that cart and take it out of the city to be destroyed. And if you do not, they will use all their power and the force of the law to compel you to do so. And these are the type of people that Paul is instructing Titus to tell them to obey, to live in subjection. That's why if you read in Matthew, when Jesus talks about the statement that if somebody compel you to go a mile, go too. Because the same type of things were happening. They was forcing and they were mandating people to do things like they did Simon at the cross. Simon just out there on the street. Jesus fall. He struggled with the cross. They said, hey, you carry his cross. Why you think Simon did it? He didn't have other choice. Because it would have been pro- police brutality to the fullness. But Paul is instructing his people to be in subjection to these type of people. You know, you, you, you're getting the picture. And also included in this crowd is people who were those people. So you got little Johnny who been running around since he was 10 year old toting a pistol. Kicking in doors, robbing stores, doing all type of foolishness. And Paul is telling him, don't speak evil, don't be a brawler. Like, dude, I've been fighting all my life. In the neighborhood I grew up in, if you don't fight, you you don't survive. Paul is saying, speak evil of no man and don't be a brawler, but instead be gentle. Uh, You're getting the picture of what I'm saying. So just imagine, little dude from Chicago. Every weekend, 10, 15 people getting shot. And he been one of the ones doing the shoot. And them all his partners and all his homeboys. Now he's saying, I'm a Christian, man. I go to church with this dude named Titus. He my new preacher. So like, what your preacher told you? Man, I need to stop fighting and I need to be nice to everybody. <laughs> Just imagine how that would play out. But this are the type of things that Paul is telling Titus to instruct the people in. So put yourself in his mind now. That don't seem to quite work. Because if little Johnny been toting a pistol and robbing folks since he was 10, it's in him. And it is our understanding of the way that we've been trained when it comes to salvation and believing Jesus that you repeat after this preacher and you seal your way to heaven. And now from that point on, you try your best to be what it is that the church folks told you you're supposed to be. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so if we find little Johnny in that predicament, under those situations and under those circumstances, we give him a little leeway when he still got a little of that brawling in him. We have to pull him to the side and say, hey, man, you know you're a Christian now, man. You know what I'm saying? You still say, but uh, you might need to find some new friends. And we, 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 we attempt to, 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 to make little Johnny a little more comfortable in his context and his circumstance because he can live in a situation where you can't be exactly where Titus is instructing them to be. Because it's hard to be gentle when everybody around you is rough. 
It's hard to be speak evil of no man when everybody around you trying to do you low down. You you get in the picture. Now watch how this thing in progress. We're in Titus chapter 3, going on to verse 3. Said, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. So this is Paul's description of what they were also said. Oh, yeah, we understand. Because this is what we were. But are you paying attention? Said we ourselves also were. So in the mind of Paul, as he instructed. Titus to instruct the people of Crete in a jacked up situation. He's identifying them, but check out his identification. We were these things. So if he identify himself as past tense being that, how do you think he believe himself to be now? Something other than that. So when Paul think of who they were, he don't believe himself to be foolish, disobedient, Deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating other people. That's who he used to be. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when all these lusts and all these other things come up, he's saying this is who we were. Now I'm going to get sidetracked a little bit, but we're going to keep it moving. Now, how many of you have heard somebody tell you that Paul lived in a place where he wanted to do some things, but he could not do them. The things I want to do, I can't do. The stuff I don't want to do is the stuff I keep on doing. Anybody ever heard that before? That that's how Paul was. He had some desires. He had some understanding in his mind that he wanted to live a certain way, but he couldn't do it. And he had some other stuff he wanted to avoid, but he couldn't stop avoiding it. We not heard that before, correct? Now, your challenge is, is if you believe that, is to reconcile that with what you're reading right here. Because he said, I used to serve divers' lust. That's what I used to be. So all type of passions lived inside of me. All type of desires once lived inside of me, and I lived according to them. Not no more. That don't sound like a man who still struggling to do with Unless he lying. Y'all think Paul lying? That is a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) But let's keep moving. Said, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is this is beautiful, and this is what we're going to stick at. Said, But after that, after what? After I was deceived, disobedient, foolish, serving divers, lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating people, it said, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. So the, the compassion of God, the love of God, showed up. And how did this love show up? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And that word saved means to deliver. So it's not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He delivered us. Now keep this in the flow in the context of what he's talking about. 
This is what we used to be. This is how we used to live. But God, in his kindness, in his love, appeared. And through his appearing, he saved us. And it ain't have nothing to do with us. What did he save him from? From being foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's what he saved them from. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So it's the, the mercy and the kindness of God that saved Paul, delivered him, set them free from all these type of things. Now, just, just think about this. Now we still, we still in this context. So if it had nothing to do with them when it came to Paul, do you think Paul believed that he was better than the people in Crete? Nah. That was his purpose for bringing it up. Because he began, Titus, this is what you exhort the people to do. This is how you exhort the people to live. Why? Because we used to be what they are. But God came and after God appeared, he saved us. You're getting the picture. So what is it that little Johnny who's been toting pistols and living in this rough neighborhood has to do in order to be, to live peaceful, in order to speak evil of no man, in order to not be hateful in the midst of Crete? Paul said, all I had to do was salvation of Jesus Christ appeared. It had nothing to do with what I did. So how many steps did Paul have to learn to get saved? Zero. How many self-help books did he have to read? Zero. There's no process that has anything to do with us. It's all on the mercy and the salvation of God. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm going to say something very heretical. I am. I'm just preparing you. It's going to be heresy to you because you grew up in church. Faith does not save you. Repeat it again. Faith does not save you. God does. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Faith does not save you. God does. Now, this is a beautiful passage on salvation. This is a beautiful passage on regeneration. How many times is faith listed? Not by works of righteousness. That's all he tells us. It ain't had nothing to do with me. I didn't work my way to get there, but God did it. Well, y'all got these electronic Bibles, but those you got a paper Bible, hold your spot. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show you something, then we're going to get back. Let me show you something. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It reads, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift gift of God. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So by grace you are saved. So the thing that saves is grace. Faith is the vehicle through which grace comes. Are you understanding what I'm saying? 
grace, the grace of God, the person of God, the spirit of God living in, within us, that's what saves us. The only thing faith does is it is a vehicle that puts us in a position to accept, to receive, to be changed, to be transformed by the God of salvation. I understand what I'm saying. So that's why it's possible for you to repeat after that preacher and say that prayer and still go to hell a sinner. Because it's possible for you to have faith in the formula and not faith in God. So the thing that we believe in, the thing that we put our hope in, is not a formula, is not a right recipe, is God, the God of salvation. We're hoping, we're depending upon him, we're relying upon him, we're dependent upon his mercy because he's the only one that can save us. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let's go back. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We're going to zone in on these two and it's going to take us home. So it gives us two different aspects of this renewal, of this regeneration, of this new birth. It says, by the washing of regeneration. Now that word, the washing of regeneration is, is somewhat of a strange word in our time because it refers to if you read your um your boring part of the Bible, as most folks say, and most people when they try to read the Bible, they get stuck. And everybody blame Leviticus. Everybody blame Leviticus or the reason they can't read the Bible all the way through. But if you pay attention to Leviticus, they got this furniture. And actually, Exodus killed more of y'all than Leviticus. And the reason Exodus killed you, because the whole end of Exodus, all he's talking about is the tabernacle. And God is giving Moses them instructions. So by the time you get to Leviticus, you're tired. Because you've been reading about knots on one side and another knot according to the knot or the temple of the knot. <laughs> and according to all four sides, it's the knot thereof. <laughs> and so by the time you get Leviticus, then he get to tell you about bring two turtle doves. And if you're poor, you bring, and you're tired, your mind frustrated. But in that, they got this thing called the labor, this basin. And it was set up for the washing or the purifying of the sacrifices. And the word that Paul uses here is the Greek word that is used to translate that same thing. It refers to the bath. Not the act of taking a bath, but the whole thing in and of itself. So there's this bath, there's this labor, there's this this system of purification that they had in the Old Testament that they brought the sacrifices. And what Paul is making references to is that we're saved by the bath or by the labor of regeneration. So there's a system of purification that takes place in regeneration. So we got regeneration and we got renewal. Part of this regeneration is a cleansing. There's a system of purification that takes place in this regeneration. Now this word regeneration is a very strange word. The word is palingenesis in the Greek. And really all it means is to make again or to create again, or to generate over. Let me show you something. Watch this. Go to, uh, go to the beginning. Go to, go to Genesis. Genesis all the way at the beginning. Genesis chapter one. 
Genesis chapter 1. Now watch this. Understand this new birth. And verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided light from darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning was the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathered together of the waters called he the seas, and God saw it, and it was good. Let me pause. Are y'all starting to see a pattern a little bit? Did anybody pick up on it? God got this amazing thing, something that he liked to do. And he does it all throughout creation. If you pay attention to it, he keeps doing the same thing over again. Now, the first day we read, he made light. What did he do with the light? He separated. So he had darkness was there. Then he created light. And it specifies he separated the light from the darkness and he gave them names. The next day, he created this thing called the firmament. And he used that to do what? Divide. He separated some waters above and some waters below. He brought some distinction. The next day, he made some dry land appear. And he used that dry land to do what? Separate. All dry land, y'all come together. The waters, y'all come together. Dry land, you're going to be earth waters, you're going to be seas. So there's this thing of separation and distinction that God does in creation. And that's the way he operates. God separates, God brings distinction, and this is a part of the creative act. Now, we're purified through the regeneration, through this palingenesis, through this next creation, through this new creation, through this other creation that God got going on. So when you conceive of yourself and understand the salvation that you get from God, First, you need to understand that there's a purification that takes place, and this purification is a part of a new creation. So when God is rebirthing, he's recreating. And in God's creation, there's always a separation and a distinction. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So if you grew up evil, vile, lived in sin, have all this messed up stuff going on, you're a part of this world, you're a part of this culture, and God comes and grabs a hold of you and he recreates you. What do you think he's doing in that creation? Separate. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So when he creates you, he separates you. Because God divides. God brings distinction. There's no murkiness with God. When God create light, he makes sure that it's distinct from darkness. So when the Bible begins to give us pictures of us as the new creation, Colossians 1, I think it's 13, is talking about how we have been translated. That means we have been moved. That means we've been taken across from the kingdom of darkness. Now are you light in the Lord? That's who you are now. 
So you were foolish, disobedient. You lived in darkness. That's a part of the Adamic nature that you inherited. But now you've been recreated. So a part of that recreation is now you have been translated. He took you from the kingdom of darkness and made you the kingdom of light. And if God brings distinction, if God brings separation, in that recreation, that becomes a part of my identity. You understand what I'm saying? So now I'm not wrestling with darkness. And there's no part of me that's part dark and part light because I've been translated. I've been recreated. My daddy Adam messed me up. Darkness was a part of my being. Now my father, God, Christ Jesus, has recreated me through his spirit. Animal darkness. You, you get what I'm saying? You were a part of the kingdom of darkness. Now you've been translated. You are light in the Lord. Are you starting to see the picture a little bit? That's why the Bible talk refers to us being moved from death to light. Because when God recreates, there's a distinction. There's a separation. Go to Matthew 19. Let me show you the only other use of this word in the New Testament. And I hope this helps you get the picture of what God has done for you. Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. Now, what he's speaking about in here is the Coming age, the end of the world, as some folks refer to it, the new creation, all when everything all right. But watch this. It said, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I said, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man. So there's this time that Jesus is referring to as the regeneration. When the Son of Man going to sit on his throne. Now most of us believe that to be when Jesus come back and he set up his kingdom here on earth. Now, how many of you think that God is going to take this dilapidated earth that we got. Splash a couple new flowers down here. Cut out some fungus from some trees, plant, make some new kind of plants we ain't never seen before, and say, "Behold, this is new heaven and the new earth." How many of you think it's gonna work like that? Step out, show hand. How many? How many think that God's just gonna use the same old corrupt earth? It's like, man, I'm gonna kill all the bacteria on the earth, and then it's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> Don't nobody conceive of that when they think about the the, the, the age to come. You picture something you just can't even imagine. Whole everything look different. Stuff just glowing when you try to think about it in your mind. Everything got sparkle on it like the cartoon. That's the way you think about it. No way in your mind do you conceive of the same corruption that you see now, the same defilement that you see now existing in this new creation. And that's good. Because he said he can do above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. So if I can imagine this earth being a whole lot better than what it is, he sure should be able to make it to where I don't even recognize the corruption in the, in, in the defilement that is this earth. But he referred to that time period as the regeneration. 
the time when it be made new. Now watch this now. Just think about this for a minute. If that is what he's going to do to the earth, and it's the same word that he applies to yourself, why won't think about ourselves the same way? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because he's talking to use the same word. So when he recreate heaven and earth, that's the regeneration. And we believe that's going to be some brand new and it's just going to be on, popping, streets of gold and all that type of stuff we imagine. But when we think about ourselves as being the regeneration, we think, I'm just same old dude struggling, trying my best. I'm saying trying to get over. I'm saying that's just it's hard out here. Why we cheat God like that? Do you think he care more about dirt than he do about you? You think, hey, man, I'm going to save all my creative genius for the earth. So I can't do that much to these people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to run out of power. <laughs> so I'm just going to recreate them a little bit. I'm going to do like MHH do when they redo the projects. Then we're going to put a little piece of tinfoil out on the porch, make it look like a column, put some mud on these <laughs> cinder blocks, and re. Do some tile. By redo, we mean go down to Home Depot and get that rejuvenate stuff and clean it up. We ain't replacing nothing. <laughs> That's how we conceive of our new creation. That God just pats some stuff up. I used to be this, this, and this, but now I'm this, this, and this, and I like to go to church. <laughs> Now I'm this, this, and this, and I'm starting to read my Bible and treat people a little bit better. That's the way we think about ourselves. But that's not how we should think about ourselves. Because the same word God used to describe your purification, he used to describe the transformation of the new heavens and the new earth. So why would he put all this energy in this stuff and not put it in you? And the same God that's going to recreate heaven and earth said he recreating you. And the new you is not just a fix-up. It's a brand new creation. That's what God is doing. He's recreating. So when you think about yourself in light of who God is, think about yourself as something other than what you've always been. Because unless God is alive, that's what you are. You ain't who you were born. You ain't what you've been through. You ain't the scars and the hurts of your past. You ain't the sum total of all your bad decisions. You ain't the corruption and the anger that dwells inside of your heart that you've been fighting so bad to get over. That ain't who you are. You are a brand new creature. If you're reading the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, he tells us that we put on the new man that's been created after the image of God. In go to Colossians, chapter 3, he tells you that you need to put on the new man that's been created. And the idea is that this new man ain't some God just made up. He ain't just fixing stuff up. He created something. Everybody knows 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Behold, all things are new. I'm a new creation. But that new creation could literally be translated a different creature. 
a new creature. I'm a new being. But that's how we got to think about ourselves. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So we we need we don't we don't need to see ourselves with our same timidity. We don't need to see ourselves with our same shortcomings. We don't need to see ourselves with all that stuff because all that stuff ain't who you are no more. Once were you, but now you are a new creation, palingenesis. God made a brand new thing. But not only did He make a brand new thing, He says, "Washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit." So he's recreating and he's infusing new life. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So you, you, you got this double pathway of, of regeneration. New creation and an infusing, a, 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 a brand new life. He's making life again. That's who you are. So when Adam sinned, there was a separation that took place. Death entered into the world. And death is separation. But when the Holy Ghost enters in, there's a renewal that takes place. That relationship is restored. Which one? All of them. You and God get right now. No longer are you his enemy. Now you are his friend. You are his child. His beloved. There's a renewal that takes place. And God ain't up in heaven playing those psychological games where he got to convince himself that he like you. Now y'all understanding what I'm saying? Well, you had a little friend that just gets on your nerve, but they're a little slow, so you put up with them. You're like, yeah, man, that's my boy, he cool. And then you see him coming, he be like, God, I ain't even do nothing but talk, man. I don't feel like talking today. But you'll never tell him that because you know he's cool. You, you put up with it. God don't treat you like that. <laughs> I don't be like, oh, man, let me come praying again. No, this joke ain't going to ever be right, but he trying, so I'm going to listen to him. Hey, how God treat you? What God says is, I made him brand new. Me and Evan used to couldn't get along. But now, that's my son. Now, he just like me. The same nature that lives in me, lives in him. And the only thing I'm waiting to see is for him to believe it. So God got his full investment in you, trying to get you to see that he made you brand new. But you still got your mind stuck on that I'm trying I'm saying I'm trying. I mean, I've been working real hard. I'm saying I've been really trying to change the thing and do things different. You ain't got to try. You ain't got to. God made you new. Believe it. That's what He did. You are new. You have been recreated. How did it happen? By the Holy Spirit. Point blank period. So we got regeneration and we got renewal. All of that takes place by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not some psychological trick. But it's a reality where God changes who you are. Do y'all get what I'm saying? 
Because if all these words mean what they mean, I should be something different. And the same God that created heaven and earth told me he created me. And this thing get a little deep. Let's just touch on The Bible refers to us as being one new man in Christ Jesus. Alright? What that means is all of us in here God looks at us if we believe in him as one entity, one family, one new man. Everything that brings distinction and separation between us is supposed to be taken out of the way. Now, we live in a world that's full of division. We live in a world that's full of hatred. We live in a world that's just all messed up. People just don't know how to get along. And the way that we got here was through the curse and punishment of God. In Genesis chapter 11, God gave man some commands. They got off the boat. He told him to spread above the earth, replenish the earth, and multiply. They had new ideas. They said, we're going to build us a tower, and we're going to stay right here. God said, it ain't going down like that. And he did this amazing thing. Confound the language of the people according to families, it says in Genesis. So the people begin to disperse according to families. All the families separated, which brought distinction amongst the people, which created what we see today. And understanding what I'm saying. Now, we get where we are through a curse. God punishing the people. Now, there's this crazy and amazing thing that, that go on. We elevate the curse as a part of our identity. What I mean by that? There's some people on this planet that I'm better than. Why? Because I look different than them. I came from a different place where they came from. How do I get to look different than them? Because God cursed some people and they separated from one another. And genes begin to separate. So I got a fat nose and some people got a skinny nose. And us fat nose people are better than you skinny nose people. Because we fat nose people. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. And you skinny nose people will never understand what it's like to be with these fat nose people because these fat nose people are blessed and divine of God because we got to take in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide and I got more room to do that than you do. <laughs> so I'm fat nose, you skinny nose, but I love you though. But you keep your skinny nose self over there. <laughs> and I'm going to keep my fat and old self over here. Alright? That's what we're going to do. But that ain't how it's supposed to be done. Do you know fat nose and skinny nose people are part of the same people? Yeah, did y'all realize that? That like amazes me. Like fat nose people and skinny nose people are part of the same people. Like as big as my nose is and big as my whole family nose is, it's some people that in my family got skinny nose. 
Like, that's amazing. How that happen? Because fat and old people and skinny and old people part of the same people. So fat and old people and skinny and old people should be able to get along. Because you're part of the same people. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. We say, ain't no more separation. Ain't no more distinction. You all are one in Christ Jesus. Hold up now. So I'm supposed to get along with skinny and old people? Yeah. Because skinny and old people is your brother. And you're supposed to show the world the way they're supposed to really live. So me and skinny and old people got to get along because we got to show the world the way God created the world to be. Because in this regeneration, in this recreation, he created one new man. Some folks call it a church. So why in the world do some folks who call themselves the church can't get along with people who got different physical attributes than they do? How can that be possible? How can one new man be splintered? How can one new creation have all this separation? You understand what I'm saying? One new man is supposed to be one new man. And just like he made me individually new, he making me corporately new and connecting me with people. Now you're just as important to me than I am to me. Which one of you? All of you. Because we're one new man. So there's no separation. There's nothing about you if you believe in Jesus that keeps me from loving you. Because we one. We should have the same mind, the same passion, the same pursuit, the same value. And it's going to get a little more ugly. Matter of fact, I'm supposed to esteem you better than myself. Are, are, are you getting what I'm saying? So, when we see one another, we see new men recreated, brand new. Like there was this uh, little short, fat, and old dude who used to live in Flint, Michigan. Short dude, fat, and old, sort of funny looking. He used to live in Flint, Michigan. I heard about this dude. But I bear you testimony, I never met him. Never met him before. I can tell you a good little bit about it. Tell you what day you were born. Tell you what year you were born. But, I never met him before. Is he famous? Nope. Can I read about him on the internet? Nope. I just heard of him, never met him. But I know somebody who used to know him quite familiar. And they told me about this dude, but this dude I never met. Now he got the same name as one of my closest brothers. How in the world that happened? Dude I never met before got the same name as one of my closest brothers. One of my closest brothers' name is Jamel Black. And there's a dude who used to live in Michigan, still do all type of foolish stuff. His name was Jamel Black, too. But something happened to that dude. His folks put him in a car, sitting down in Alabama. And he ain't been back since. And what I mean by back, he ain't been back on this planet. He went to Alabama State and got lost. 
Y'all don't believe me, dude. Dude got in a red Cadillac. <laughs> went to Alabama State and got lost. Nobody has seen him in about 17 years. Been that long. Ain't no missing person report been put out on. Mama pretty sure don't want him back. <laughs> but he does not exist anymore. Dude just stopped existing. How in the world is that possible? This is how it happened. This guy met a girl. It always be the women that just mess these brothers up, man. Said <laughs> always the women just mess these brothers up, man. Just be, just be mess brothers up. That's a whole other sermon, though. <laughs> this guy met a girl on Alabama State campus. He was rapping and being his same low down, mean, evil self to this person. Offended the girl for absolutely no reason whatsoever, but the fact that he just a low down, evil little dude. This girl introduced him to some more people who get his mind pushing towards this Jesus thing. Now, he grew up in church, this dude from Flint, Michigan. He knew about Jesus. If you asked him, he probably would have told you that he was saved, depending on who you are, whether or not he was cussing or not. <laughs> but after this encounter began a journey that sent this dude to want to see what the real salvation looked like and what real righteousness looked like because he got a glimpse of it. The salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to this dude in the light of Christ destroyed the dude from Flint, Michigan. And a brand new dude came out. A dude that don't steal but work hard with his hands so that he can have to give. A dude who don't be cussing folks out, but rather use his mind to bless. And all that it took was one encounter with a Jesus to the completely destroy a dude. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that is biblical truth, that the dude who used to live in Flint, Michigan, does not live anymore. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, he said, henceforth know we no man no more after the flesh. I don't identify him. I don't know nobody after the flesh. Because what? He's a brand new creation. And you need to conceive of yourself the same way. Whatever you walked into Jesus died when you walked in. Whatever you walked into the light of Christ was obliterated by it. It does not exist anymore. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? That probably be the reason that Cadillac died. To get rid of all trace of that dude who came riding down that, that highway. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because God recreates, God makes new, and it ain't just for play. These ain't just theological terms we throw around. This is reality that you need to expect to see in your life. So how do you think of yourself if you've been born again? Whatever it is, it ain't what it used to be. All right. Anybody got any questions? I have a question about um, as you were talking about a Greek word. I forgot what word you said, but I was thinking because well, I have a question about when you read the Bible. We know the Bible is a literal book, 
but it's not just literal. It's also inspired by the Holy Spirit. So my question is, do you need the Holy Spirit to completely understand the Bible? And what I mean is, like, when I've been reading the Bible lately, normally I just read through and I just assume I know what each word means and stuff like that. But lately I've been thinking, like, okay, well, what does this one particular word mean or whatever in a verse? And then I look up the Greek word for it so I can see exactly what's being said. And sometimes that word I have, like, five definitions to it. And I'm like, okay, well, which one is the right definition? It still doesn't really tell you specifically which one. It'll tell you how many times the word was used in the Bible in this way. But it won't tell you how is it being used right here. And so my question is, do I need to know Greek, so to speak, maybe to understand it? Or do I? Or is that the time where you need the Holy Spirit to say, okay, this is the one it is specifically? Or I guess the third thing, which I don't think, but is it can you not really completely know exactly like exact what the scripture is saying and so that's my question but then i'm thinking why would god put it in a literal form if you're not supposed to know exactly what it's saying so my question is do you need the holy spirit to tell you even when you're trying to look and see what the literal thing is saying specifically do you need the holy spirit to really point out to you exactly what's being saying? that's a great question that's where we gonna end up going <clears throat> in these scriptures but First John chapter two talks about we have no need that no man teach us because the anointing that is in us or the anointing that we receive teaches us all things. And what's that? First Corinthians one or is it two talks about the natural man cannot understand the things of God for they are spiritually discerned, but we have the mind of Christ. So the idea is that the revelation of God is just that it's an unfolding. It's a speaking forth from God himself and the natural man cannot understand it. Now, does that mean that a natural man can't read this and tell you what it's saying? That's not what it's saying, because it is revelation in human language. But what that means is the understanding of it comes from the Holy Spirit. So the whole while you're reading, it's possible for you to understand it just because of the spirit that's inside of you. God wants you to understand. That's the reason he wrote a book. Do you have to know Greek in order to understand it? No. And the reason you don't have to know Greek in order to understand it, because it is human language. And it was translated into an English language. Now, there is separation in there, this distinction once something is translation, translated, because there's nuances of meaning from language to language. But the message it's the message of the Holy Spirit and he can give it to you. You give, you, it doesn't make any sense to you. So if you're reading it, and let's say you come across one of the words and you look up the Greek and it gives you about 10 different definitions. You have the same problem when you read English. It's not as tough for you because you're familiar with the language. And the reason is because we use words that has multiple meanings. Like the word mouse. When I say mouse, what you think of? Run around on the ground. That's true. But I could have been speaking about what? A computer mouse. I could have been speaking about a short person. There you go. Now, if I was to put it in full context, your mind would have immediately thought about one of the multiple meanings of it. 
and it works the same. So what you have to do, or the, the, the part that you have to train yourself to do is whoever put the chapters in the verses in the Bible did us a great benefit and a great disservice. Because it isolate verses from fuller context. So a lot of times what you have to do, if you read that, you get that definition in mind, then you reread. But a lot of you don't reread the verse, you reread the book. Because it lies within a larger context. You get what I'm saying? So sometimes the meaning flows from chapter one on through through chapter six. Because it connects with something that he previously said. So that nuance is defined by what's previously there. But is it possible for you to just read, even with the English definition, you can get it. But Holy Spirit is the one that gives understanding of it. it that makes a little sense to you. Go ahead. So, what, what do you do when you feel like you don't have that understanding? Like, not that the Holy Spirit isn't working, but just for you in that particular, like, time or season what do you do then during those times all right you 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 said a catch word and i'm gonna have to play with it a little bit say say your statement one more again what do you do in times when you feel like you don't have that understanding all right so in times where you feel like you don't have that understanding you call yourself a lie <laughs> when you feel like you don't have the <laughs> Okay, that's different. Because if you feel, if you just feel like that, you call yourself a lie. Because it's possible for you to feel some way and be wrong. So God told you, you do got to understand. So you believe you or you believe God. All right, then. So that's what you do when you don't feel like you got to understand. You call yourself a lie. But could there be times where you're wrestling with something and it's not clear? Yes. Now, in those times is where you show sure enough go to prayer mode, but you change your prayer a little bit. Because what I notice even in myself is a lot of the times in those times, it's not that the passage isn't clear. It's that it's not jiving with what I already thought. So I have to ask myself, what about this passage don't I understand? And there have been times where I'd ask myself that, like, what, what's really on this page that I really just don't get? And when I be truly and honest with myself, I'd say, well, God, every word on here makes sense. And if I read it for what it is, it makes completely sense. But I ain't never seen nobody do it, and I never done it a day in my life. So it can't mean what it say. So when I say I don't understand, I'm saying I don't agree with it. (laughs) And so first you have to wrestle and make sure it ain't one of those times. You get what I'm saying? And so if you can, once you clear through that and you change that prayer and, and making sure that I understand everything that on this page, I can write it down. I can tell it back to you. So what is it that I misunderstand? If it comes to application and the reason you misunderstand it is because I never seen it before. I don't make sense. I don't nobody else do this. Then you ain't got no understanding problem. You got an obedience problem. But if it goes to I completely understand the words on this page, 
I explained it back to you, but I just don't see how this connect with anything that the Bible ever said. Now, that's what Russell with problem, where you need God to reveal understanding and application. Because sometimes it's easy to capture what's on the page, but not see how it applies to you. And that's the Holy Spirit job. And you just, that's when you come to meditating on the word and you let that word just sit and you play with it in your mind and, and until God unfolds it and he gives you the understanding of it, how it applies, how it connects, how it go back to whatever. You, you get what I'm saying? But 99.9% of the time, our misunderstandings come from our hardness. Every now and then, there's some tough stuff in there that you have to wrestle with. But the vast majority of it is, it don't make sense. Why? Because it don't make sense. And, and that be it. And sometimes you got to ask what it is you're trying to gain from the page. Because we can get into the point of trying to learn something that the Bible ain't trying to teach. And what I mean by that is, let's take a crazy one. Like people read Ezekiel. And they read about the wheel in the middle of the wheel. I'm like, I can show you all along from this. Now, initially, when you read about the wheel in the middle of the wheel, if you've been in church for a while, you remember some of them old devotional songs. He's a wheel in the middle of the wheel. Now, if you read that, and you be like, hold up. This ain't talking about God. <laughs> and immediately what you're going to say is, I don't understand this. Why? Because you're trying to connect that song the deacons were singing with what you're reading on that page, and it don't match up. Because what they say in the song don't go with what Ezekiel described in that vision. The only thing that matches is the use of the same word. Then, so you be sitting there wrestling, trying to make God the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And you be like, I don't understand this. Or you can read it and be like, hmm, that seems crazy. What in the world is a wheel in the middle of the wheel? The Bible ain't trying to tell you what it is. He's not trying to give you the metaphysical makeup of wheels in the middle of the wheel. So if you're sitting there trying to contemplate how this fit into our understanding of the solar system, you ain't going to ever understand it. Because <laughs> that ain't what they're trying to teach you. You you get what I'm saying? So if you read Genesis 1 and trying to understand the botany of dandelions versus daisies, you ain't going to understand Genesis. Because that ain't what he's trying to teach you. So if you read that answer, well, golly, so how does seed exist in stem of a plant? <laughs> how is it that a pea become a seed in itself, but other things have seeds? If you're trying to answer them type of questions, you don't get that from Genesis. Because that ain't what he's trying to teach you. You get what I'm saying? So sometimes you can ask a question that the text ain't answering and you be saying, I don't understand it. Go ahead. If you are saved, can you sin again? And if you do sin again, are you saved? If you are saved, can you sin again? And if you do sin again, are you saved? Good question. If you are saved, can you sin again? First John chapter 2. What is the verse? 1. That's what I thought. It talks about if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, since it said if we sin, that lets me know that it's a possibility for it to happen. 
possibility, not a guarantee. So if you're saved, can you sin again? Yes, it is possible for it to happen. If you sin, are you a saved? Now that question is, is a deceptive question. And the reason I say it's a deceptive question, because it's a question the Bible never really answers, because the Bible don't ask that question. What the Bible teaches us is that those who sin need to do what? Repent. So if you're saved and you sin, you need to do what? Repent. If you sin, that's a sign you need what? The help of the Holy Spirit. Does it matter whether or not you prayed or not? No. Does it matter whether or not you've been saved for 50 years? <laughs> no. Sinners need to repent. The overcoming of sin is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So to wrestle with the question, well, I was saved, and then I got mad and slapped my wife, so now I'm not saved, and I felt bad, and I go back, and now I'm saved. Bible don't talk like that. If you sin, you need repentance, and you need the Holy Spirit. What if I was a Christian? Don't matter. If you sin, you need to repent, and you need the Holy Spirit. All right? Go ahead. Does God tell us to help people? Yes. So if we don't help people, are we sinning? Proverbs says that if you have the power to do good and do it, then not to you it is sin. All right, what you got? This whole question that keeps popping up, being presented to me about being able to live a sinless life. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anybody who know me know that I work at the nail shop. They, they will bring that to me often. And I always tell them yes, because that's what the Bible say. Mm -hmm. But then they bring it up like, well, do you, do you not sing it? And then I'm like, this ain't about me. This is about what the words say. Mm -hmm. Because I'm new. I'm still new. I'm fresh in my wall. So I have got it. I haven't. <sighs> the question it was, is it possible to live without sinning? Yes. Yes, it is possible. It's possible to live without sin because it's possible to live with God. And God is the alleviation of sin. Now, the problem that a lot of people have, and it's the problem that we've been trying to harp on, is we need to big up God and diminish ourselves. Because most time when, when people hear you say something like that, immediately they're going to turn to you. Like, you think you just uh, are. <clears throat> the next thought is, well, what Jesus died for then? And they'll be like, he, he died to save me from my sin. <laughs> so is it possible? Yes. More than possible, God expects us to, but not because of any works of righteousness like we talked about, but because of who he is and what he has done. So our goal is to push people towards God and to push people towards Christ, even in ourselves. Our mind and our focus is on him and not sin. So we, don't, we, we, we ain't worried about sin. We ain't worried about our weakness and our frailties. We're worried about the greatness of God. Now, when people press you on that, 
I generally play with it in multiple ways. Because generally that's what people are going to tell you. Well, well, you do you see it? And most of the time I don't answer that question and the reason why. Because most of the time when people ask you that question, they don't believe it's possible anyway. So no matter what you say, you're wrong. So generally what I say, depending on the person, how well I know them, if I tell you I don't, would you believe me? Most time they're going to tell you, no. Well, ain't no need me to answer the question then. Or I can ask, does it matter? And the reason I ask that question, I like, hey, my PE coach was fat. <laughs> does that mean it's not possible to diet and exercise? Because my PE coach, we used to have health and PE. So the first part, you sit down with that little book, and they tell you, you need to walk a certain amount of time. You need to do this many exercises. You need to eat these kind of food, abstain from this type of food, and you'll have a nice, firm, fit body. But my PE coach was fat. And he taught us these lessons for a whole semester. So does that mean that diet and exercise don't work? Nah. So just because he's fat don't mean the message is wrong. It means he wrong. The dope man, the one that told me I need to go to school and stay in the band. Does that mean I need to drop out? Like, man, you sell dope. You ain't been to school since sixth, seventh grade. How you going to tell me? Nah, but like I said, neighborhood I grew up in, people sold dope. And I knew some of them. And they tell him, oh, you're doing good, man. You play them drum, man. Stay, keep at it. You need to stay in school. And I'd be like, okay. Never did it cross my mind. This man don't know what he's talking about. I don't need to go to school. Because he say a dope. I need to say a dope. Nah. Because he wrong, not the message. You, you get what I'm saying? So you always turn it back to Christ and you turn it back to message. And so, like I said, you've been hanging around Jay, so you always know the word. So when people tell you, you cannot live without sin, or why you say so? That's the question. What about when, um, okay, it's been times where you be at a Bible study or you just fellowship and you just talking about the word or something, and we everybody in the room read the same scripture. But you get six and seven interpretations of it. Uh, I was, I think, does that line up with what you're saying about some things, uh, the Lord allow you to reveal, I mean, reveal to you based on your unique personality or his unique, uh, influence in your life? Yes and no. There can be a multiplicity of application, but not mean. What I mean by that is, Take a simple example, like your cell phone. It got certain functions that's created that's universal to everybody who got that phone. Now, does everybody who has that phone use it the same way? Now, some people are businessmen who stay on the go. So they calling, they setting up deals, they checking stocks. You can go through their phone and you won't see a game on now. They ain't got no time for that. Some people are just socialized. Only thing they do is tweet, face, and in, in instant message. They ain't never called a person a day in their life. 
That's all they do. You call them, and while the phone ringing, they'll be sending you a text message. <laughs> That's a different application of the same general thing. It can be used in all those multiplicity of ways based off who you are, your context. But the meaning does not change. So when you're in a Bible study and you got six people that tell you six different things, that means at least five people is wrong. Let me say it real fast. Go ahead. I, my question might have been misleading. Um, if everybody, okay, everybody acknowledging, okay, say for instance, uh, he, okay, I'm trying to give an example, but it's been multiple ones. But like reading some of the stuff Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, or uh, I'm the door. Come, okay, somebody might be reading and get a revelation from it, mm-hmm. and they see, wow, this how it be. It's like, oh wow! I didn't. And everybody in the room like, wow! I didn't think about it like that. Then you go down the road, somebody like, like what I get out of it is, wow! And the same thing about four or five times. And I was saying it might not be a specific. Uh, I know people who, like for instance, uh, one scripture, the way they heard it and the way they, the way it was interpreted to them, changed their whole lifestyle. But we might be reading the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. That was mind blowing to me to way. Okay, because he's making them lie down, green, past me, store my soul. Most, a lot of people might, you know what I'm saying? But them two words or that concept, that idea, you know what I'm saying? I might have saw that a little different than somebody else. They might have saw it the way I ain't never saw it. And that might have been what? But sometimes I feel like he, uh, he meets you where you at, like lady at the well, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He gives us some a word that changed the whole lifestyle. And it ain't necessarily what the word means or it's more about the spiritual connotation of it that's, I guess, come directly from Yeah, that's why I said it can be a difference of application and not mean. If you, if you get what I'm saying. The word means what it means, but the meaning of it gives it various applications. So, like, even just take the, the Lord is my shepherd. Couple simple words. Now, it means what it means. How it connects with you and applies to you may be different. So you may see an aspect of a shepherd that I, I might not see, but I can't see something that does not fit under the realm of shepherd and, and, and what this relationship means. It, it, am I making sense to you? So it's the way it applies to you because you might see something that, uh, whoa, okay, that, that means this, but, <clears throat> give you an example. Like, I heard a brother talking about the Lord is my shepherd. And that was part of the motivation of how he found his wife. Because he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The shepherd take care of the sheep. And the shepherd is one that put the sheep together, the mate and all that good stuff. So I ain't got to be out here facing no, chasing no women because that's a shepherd job. Now, when I read that, did I think about that? Not even a little bit. Now, does his application change the meaning? No, he's taking the exact same meaning and applying it to his situation. Because you get what I'm saying? It still means the Lord is my shepherd. He got the same understanding of a shepherd. He just got a revelation of that relationship between sheep and shepherd that I didn't get. So the meaning stays the same. The application is what different. So that's where the personal revelation comes from is through the application. But you can't take personal revelation as far as meaning. 
if you get what I'm saying. You, I can't take well that, that thing said the Lord is my shepherd. See, God reveals something to me. See, like Shep, that's she, and she p. You know what I'm saying? She p. So that lets me know that my wife gonna be pretty, cause she p and p like p y t pretty young thing. You know what I'm saying? Did God give me that revelation? <laughs> so what the Lord and my shepherd mean is that my wife going to be pretty, you heard? Because God was speaking to me. And that was the herd come on. She pretty, you heard? Shepherd. <laughs> and that's an extreme example. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? And people, people do stuff like that. Well, Bible study call it personal revelation. No, you just make it up stuff. I don't think there's no such thing as personal revelation. I agree with you there. Yeah. But there's personal appli- there's personal revelation in the sense of application. So just like that brother, he read that about the Lord's my shepherd, and he got revelation that God was going to bring him away. Now, could you say you're wrong? No, nah, he ain't saying nothing bad about that text. That's God revealed him an aspect of the shepherd that I didn't get that revelation. But when I go back and I read it with that understanding, I'm like, okay, I see how you got there. That's deep. You understand what I'm saying? I do. If I just, okay, I feel like God meet everybody in a different way. Mm-hmm. We can agree on that. Okay, like everybody going, some people might have to have a, okay, I think about Deion Sanders, man. He won, okay, but I can go on with that. God reaches people. He he knows what it's going to take. Paul, for instance, he had to get knocked clean off his horse, have his whole blinded and everything. He need, had to be brought down, never connected. Some people, but God been saying the same thing the whole time, but when he revealed it to you, or when he allows you, your heart been hard, he been saying the same thing. Everybody been reading scripture, boom, boom, boom. God didn't touch your heart, and you had that same boom, 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 and you hear something, you feel something that you ain't felt before. It's almost like the power ain't necessarily in, it's in the revelation he didn't give you. Mm-hmm. Or the, Awareness, he didn't have the grace to it. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Okay, I was just saying, like, uh, she's talking about Greek, and, and it's a lot of Chinese and Japanese. And I, part of me want to know where y'all, where that website at, because it is certain words that don't mean the same thing in English that it meant in uh, Hebrew or Arabic. But I'm thinking overall, it's like the Spirit of God, though, that's going to allow you yeah. to. Yeah, you know? that, that's true. Like I said, natural man cannot understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. So it takes the spirit of God to give us that revelation and it takes the spirit of God to open us up to it. Uh, even in the idea of desiring and wanting to be with God. That's a example of the grace of God and the mercy of God at operation. That's why the Hebrews it said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the propagation. Cause it's possible for you not to hear his voice. Now you'd have been there before. I'm saying you've been in church, man preaching things good. One person sitting next to you like, man, you ready to go while you sitting up under conviction of your heart, bro. Y'all sitting up right next to each other, two inches away from each other, but the response is the same because you hearing something he ain't hearing, even though you're hearing the same words. Because it's the Spirit of God that gives life. It's the Spirit of God that gives understanding. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's it? Oh, got one more? So... Um, God created us without any scars in birth. So, 
how do we find ourselves without that kind of person? The people already have that scars or hurt being hurt that they don't remember how God made them. How do we find that ourselves? Are you saying how do we find ourselves in that position? Yes. With all the scars, all the pain, all the hurt? Life. Because when, when sin enter in, we're separated from our true source of life. And so you live life apart from God in this evil world, which is full of evil people who hurt people, who mistreat people, who abuse people. And all those pains, all those abuses have an impact on who we are in this world. And so people cut off from God. They don't have an idea of that sense of hope and that sense of healing that comes from him. And so, so because you're isolated, that's how you find yourself there. But the trap is, the way the enemy use it is he use your pain and your hurt as a means to drive you away from God when it should do the reverse, which is push you to God. You understand what I'm saying? And so the only way to truly overcome that pain and the only way to truly overcome that hurt is you go to him and you allow him to get, because I know we can do to undo our soul. Right, there's, there's absolutely nothing we can do. I heard this story of a preacher, a guy who struggling, he about how big of a sinner he was. And he really got convicted and he wanted to change. And what some preacher told him to do was, every time you think of a sin that you committed, you put a nail in the board. And so he had this big old piece of plywood that was covered with nails. And he began to read his Bible, began to seek after God. And his preacher like, every time you just sense that God has forgiven you and trained you, you pull a nail out. And he was doing that, praying, reading his Bible, and he started pulling nails out. But then he came back to the preachers like, hey, preacher, now what do I do with all the holes? And the idea was, I really believe God forgiving me. I really believe that I've been changed, but I still see the results of all the wrong that I've done and all the things that I've been through in my life is right there in my face. And that's the, the end of the story. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that was the end of the story. But the picture I like to put in my mind is the picture of Christ and what he went through on the cross. He was beaten. He was tattered. He was completely messed up, scarred beyond comparison. But when he rose out the grave, they could not recognize him. Actually, they thought he was a whole nother man because he was made completely brand new. And so is that us being in the presence of God and pushing us towards God that, that eliminate the scars. And the only scars he had to remain was the ones he wanted to remain for the purpose of testimony. Left him in his hand, left him in his side, and he used that to reach Thomas. Did they hurt? No. Put your hands in. This is what I used to be. But all the other scars, all the other pains, all the other things that could have hurt him and hindered him going forward, God completely removed it. And so it's that pushing towards God and understanding that I'm not the sum total of what I've been through and only God can fix me. So God, if you don't change me, I won't ever be changed. I need help.
you get what I'm saying? But the way you find yourself stuck in dealing with them scars and still very sensitive is if you find yourself separated and not willing to just open it up and let it go. Like I was talking to a coworker the other day, yesterday, and her mom just passed. And you can still see the pain and hurt in her eyes. And I thought, I, I just can't imagine. And it's going to hurt. That's life. And I ain't even lying to you tell you that it's going to be back to normal. No, it ain't. Your mama gone. We ain't going to ever be normal. And she's like, well, I'm starting to realize that now. That ain't no such thing as normal no more. But I told you, one thing you can do is don't be scared. God is a real God. Open up your mouth. And you can go to him and tell him, God, this hurt. And I'm mad right now. That shocked her that I said that. Because most people got it in their mind. You don't question God. You don't, uh, you, you, when you pray, you got to say, no, God is a real person. And God ain't intimidated by you. And so you have the ability to say, God, this hurt. I done been through this and, and, it, and it's bad to me. And I don't even see how I can overcome this. God, help me with this. Or how you allow this? Whatever it is, God wants you to be genuine and he wants you to be open. But when I made that statement, I saw a look on her face. She's like, man, what kind of preacher is this? <laughs> but it's a true and it's a genuine thing. When you read the story of Job, when God got on Job, he did get on Job. And his thing is, is who darkeneth my counsel with words without knowledge? That was directed toward Job's friends. Now, he's, he got on Job. He corrected Job. But one thing he didn't do was say, now you know better than to ask me a question. You ain't got the right to ask me to justify myself. He didn't say that. He revealed himself to Job in a way that Job said, now I heard about you, but now I see you with my own eyes. So Job being willing to ask them questions and, and saying what he had to say got him to a place well, God responded. Now, did y'all like God responding? No, man. There were like three chapters of, of just, just going in. And some of the responses were somewhat harsh. But that opened up the relationship to what Job got a better understanding and revelation of God than he would have if he would have just said, well, this is a hard time, but I'm just going to trust God because I don't like this. No, people did me wrong, God. And this stuff hurts. I don't see how I can get over this. Help me. Because if you don't, I don't see it. We need to talk about it. God ain't got no problem. God ain't going to run and be like, man, ooh, she mad. <laughs> ooh, I didn't know that happened. <laughs> no. You, you get what I'm saying? But it's that unwillingness to open up and just let it go to God that, that holds us back and keep those scars and keep those things sensitive. That answer your question a little bit. Anybody else? Anything else? All yours again.